everyone. Thanks for joining. This is Seeking Sustainability Live episode 290. And I am so excited to talk with Mr. Casey Bean in Ishikawa. Thank you so much, Casey. Hi, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. It's awesome to have you on the show. And I was so intrigued by all your posts about forest gardens. Mm. And I know that you know, growing plants around forests and around trees is really important, but I never thought of actually creating a garden with this concept mm. of creating a forest garden. So I'm really interested to talk to you and learn more about it. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about how this started. Like, did you go and choose this house? so that you could create a forest garden? Like, where did you hear about forest gardens? Where does this idea come from? Uh, so I got into just like vegetable gardening probably 10 years ago when uh, my wife and I were just renting a house and there was some vacant uh, field nearby and uh, the old people who owned it let me use it to grow vegetables. So I got into gardening then and then when we decided we were going to stay in Japan and decided to build a house, for me, having a, a large area for gardening was like the top priority. Um, so we, we looked for a, a place where that would be a possibility. Uh, and then we moved in here about six years ago. We built this house and uh, moved in about six years ago. And like the first summer that we were here, I just had all vegetables and it was just like dead in the um, in the winter. And I just was kind of like, I want something more. And then I just found some people online actually in Japan who were uh, into forest gardening, this concept I'd never heard of. Uh, and I started reading about it and the gardens looked so beautiful and the concept really just sort of got under my skin in a good way. And uh, so I started this garden about four or five years ago. Wow, yeah. great. Yeah, I was reading your blog. You have a great blog uh, where you document everything really carefully for the first five years and mm -hmm. then relatively nothing, I guess, once it's established. But but then you're so excited while you're making it. And then it's, it's like anything, you become used to it and you don't notice that it's so mm -hmm. special maybe after a while. But you were keeping up on Twitter and sharing the kinds of trees that you were choosing, uh, raising chickens, lots of things were added over time. How were you learning all of this? Was it just uh, searching on the internet, watching YouTube videos? Like where does where do all your ideas come from? Uh, for the garden, I, I read a couple books that were really informative and basically based everything off of that. And then also like what plants were readily available here in Japan played a big role in what I planted. Um, and then the chickens, yeah, it was just an experiment. I read a book about like raising chickens and read some uh, like the Backyard Chicken Forum. I spent a lot, a lot of time on there. Uh, and yeah, I just sort of, I'd, I'd already started raising a few children. So I figured chickens... You know, if I could do kids, chickens would be a, a, a breeze. Yeah. Now, we we mentioned before we started that um, other people in the series have 
talked about raising chickens. Mm -hmm. uh, two people not far from you, Ian Davey, John Speary, talk about raising chickens in uh, planting food and balancing the needs of the garden and you know, the animals and the, the plants work really well together. But you said you had kind of a different opinion about that. Can you tell us about that? Has yeah, I had difficult than you thought. For sure. Um, I had this sort of idealistic image of um, like my chickens r free ranging in the garden and eating all the bugs that I didn't want. Um, but what what actually happens is uh, I can actually um, show you they get in the vegetable beds and they just dig everything up they eat the vegetation they um just tear up all my ground cover plantings and everything so basically they destroy my precious garden um so i've i i let them free range uh supervised except for this little white one here this little silky she can't do too much damage Uh, I was on mute. Sorry, uh, you're you're very handy. You've actually built the chicken coops and the fences and the trellises and a bunch of things around the garden as well. I have yes. Uh, again, just trial and error. I don't have any back uh, background in carpentry or anything like that. Uh, so I really over engineer everything, and um, so far it's every nothing has like blown away or fallen down yet so so far so good well it looks like you're doing a great job um before we s talk about the design and the the landscaping that you've chosen uh let's look at the drone uh video that you did of bean potville do you yes, call it that's what i call it okay uh, let me see if i can bring this up Beautiful video. You want to introduce it? You had a friend who did the music and a friend who did the drone? Yep. My friend has a drone and he brought it over and I had this image of uh, the cin the cinematography I had in mind and he very patiently tried to achieve that for me. Um, so basically what it does is it just lifts off from in the middle of my yard and goes up to about like 100 meters, I think, and then just does a slow... Uh, 360 panorama and you can see uh Haksan, the semi-local uh, one of the three sacred mountains in japan it's still got snow on it uh in this video and you can see the sea of japan and you know the the newly flooded rice paddies and because i don't i know there are a lot of beautiful places in japan but i really love uh this this area in particular so that's what the video is and it was taken in april this year is that right April or May, yeah. All right, let's watch. You can see in the video, I've just planted my zucchinis there. So it must've okay. been like beginning of May. All right, let's watch. I love the music as well. Yeah, um, have you talked to uh, this musician, the Kyoto Connection? No, I just found out about them. I'd love to. Yeah. He's a really great guy. Uh, we interviewed him on one of on my other podcast, uh, but he's in Argentina. But and he's never been to Japan. But he makes like Japan inspired, sort of. Um, what's the word? What what genre of music is this? 
It's uh, like, instrumental. Uh, it's instrumental. Ambient. Ambient. That's what yeah. I was going for. It's very. Oh, very look at all those rice patties. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So you have a lot of farmers around your area planting rice, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not too thickly settled. There's some uh, little oh, I... clusters of houses, but there's lots of open space and trees and everything too. So. Yeah, I don't know why the music wouldn't be coming through. I can hear it. I'm sorry, Joe. That might be something just on YouTube. Yeah. Um, you, I'll put the link below and you can watch it again after and enjoy the music. Oh, that's my uh, friend and podcast partner, um, Joe. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. It's so steady, isn't it, with the drone? No, That's awesome. amazing. Yeah. I'm, it, it makes me want to get a drone, you know, but they're quite expensive. And I would just be making videos like this all the time, I think. Wow. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, gorgeous. And then on your uh, YouTube channel as well, you also have some of your music that you're playing. You're a musician. Yes, a, another hobby. Um, I've been indulging myself and in putting uh, some cover tunes just filmed on my uh, cell phone. So it's not great uh, audio quality or video quality, but they're, they're up there. Oh, I, I saw one of your posts and you were saying you had your son holding the camera. Yes, he's my cameraman. <laughs> you got to make use of kids however you can. I love it. Yeah, he does well. He's like getting devoured by mosquitoes he's doing it. And poor thing. He hangs in there for me. All right. Let's talk about your, your garden design because I love and I, I read in your blog that this kind of looks nice, but it is not the ideal material to reuse. You're reusing driftwood. Yes. And I, so yeah, I made a lot of trips down to the beach in my minivan and filled it up with driftwood and it looks great. Um, it has since all disintegrated, which is nice. Uh, it's sort of biodegraded into the ground, but it really like started rotting quite quickly and like each piece is at a, a different stage of decay anyway from from floating around in the ocean. Um, and then it's also like the slugs just love it. So if you rolled over a piece of driftwood, it would just be coated with slugs, which come out at night and eat all your uh, vegetables in your garden. So now was I read that you had a natural remedy for slugs because you try not to use pesticides or mm -hmm. uh, chemical fertilizers in your garden. Uh, when you're growing food, what was it? Ammonia, water, and dish soap? Yeah. And you just put like uh, in a little squirt bottle. Um, I forget the exact uh, measurements, but it's like 100 milliliters of ammonia and then 400 milliliters of water and a little squirt of dish soap. And you mix it up and you can go out and just sharpshoot uh, slugs, put on your headlamp at night and, and they just melt. <laughs> Uh, and it doesn't harm the uh, vegetation at all or the soil. Oh. Have you also taught your kids to pick off the bugs from the plants? Uh, I use them primarily for harvesting. So they don't spend too much time 
but I do like that they're growing up with this like something that's normal to them is having a yard full of food and fruit and chickens and things like that. And knowing what all these mm -hmm. amazing trees and vegetables and plants that you're planting yeah. is, is also a great education for kids that most kids ha don't have in Japan or anywhere, really. Yeah. And also the chickens, too. Like we've had some chickens die naturally and having them. I mean, they they're very upset when it happens. But being able to like at such a young age experience and see uh, death like up close in a not super traumatic way i think is a very valuable experience for them too and if you eat meat uh seeing mm -hmm. that the animal that most people eat chickens is mm -hmm. also the one that you're feeding or the one that you think is cute and just right. understanding that reality is also very healthy for kids mm -hmm. right yeah for sure um let's talk a little bit more about the design so you built these trellises did you I did. They've since fallen down. That was not one of my carpentry, uh, but I, I uh, repurposed those timber beams into uh, raised garden beds. So they, they live on in a different form. So that might be an older photo. Can you show us a little bit of what yeah. your garden looks like now behind yeah, it? For sure. Um, let me just lift my camera up and I'll do a little pan very green right now yeah it's really green so there's like one raised bed there on right on the other side of these trees is i've got uh four raised beds and that's where i do my vegetable gardening um but the focus here is more on like perennial fruit trees and things like, like that right now i can hear the the cicadas is it behind yeah. you Yes, they're winding up now. <laughs> they want to be on the show. They are. <laughs> yeah, if you watch my music videos, they're featured predominantly in the background. Yeah, they, they hopefully add instead of take away. Now, in Ishikawa, what kind of um, year-round seasons do you have? Do you usually have harsh winters, uh, short summers? Tell us a little bit about the seasons. Yeah, right where we are... Um, we're sort of right on the edge of the coastal plain and where the, the foothills of the mountains begin. So where I am, we might get like a, a heavy snow once or twice a uh, winter. And it's always just right around freezing. It, it never gets much below freezing. Uh, but if you drive inland 15 or 20 minutes, there are like several meters of snow. Um, so we're kind of in a nice place where we can get a little taste of winter. Like that that picture you're showing right now is not normal. That was 2018. That's a lot of snow. Special year. And I was that made me regret building our driveway so far away from our front door uh, because there was lots of shoveling. Every so day. When, when I first uh, saw you made the chicken coop, you actually had it in different location. Yeah. And then you moved it. Why was that? Because I built it right over our water meter. And whenever the the, uh, the person who comes to check the water would have to like open up the chicken run and it, oh. it didn't go over well. 
That is excellent. Sometimes yeah. when they come in, they're so polite, ojamashimasu, but sometimes they do have to ask, where is your water meter? Yeah. I would have loved to see their expression <laughs> when you told them that it's inside the chicken coop. Yeah, no big <laughs> deal. Just climb in there. Uh, so yeah, I moved it and I, I expanded the that run that's attached to the coop itself. So I have a little more space to move around. So what do you do with the chickens when there's that much snow? Do they go and live inside your house? No, they're inside uh, that that uh, covered run. It's not, uh, there's no snow in there. So they have a space to move around. And they don't get too I cold? Mean, I'd let them, I'd, no, they're fine. You know, that winter actually, they never even went in the coop at night. They stayed, there's a roost out in the run and they would sleep out there. It was really surprising. I was like, wow. why did I worry and research these chicken coops to build so much when they, they go in for like five minutes a day to lay an egg and then they spend the rest of the time outside. So that was a lesson learned when I uh, build my next coop, whenever that may be. Wow. I will devote and, more space to the run. And one of your chickens uh, had a broken leg, but they can survive like that? Yeah, so far this chicken. So uh, we actually hatched chickens from eggs using an incubator this wow. past spring, uh, because I, I a lot of my chickens have died. I only have like six chickens. Had six chickens, um, and they were getting old and dying, and also not pr producing eggs, which is the primary reason we have them. Um, but there's been a bad bird flu outbreak uh recently and so the i usually order chicks through the home center and they weren't uh selling chicks this year but i needed some new chickens uh so we ordered fertilized eggs online and my neighbor uh has an incubator that we borrowed and this so th these uh we ended up hatching six chickens i think and uh two of them we ended up with four in the end. Two of them turned out to be roosters. And one has this really messed up leg. And one is like a nice, healthy, um, just started laying eggs like a week or two ago. This, this little one's growth is a bit stunted because of the leg injury. Um, but she's healed and she's growing. The leg will always be sticking out like that, but she can move around. Wow. And I, I see she's eating blueberries. Yes. Uh, what what do you feed the chickens? Is it just, is it scraps from your table? Is it feed from the store? It is feed from the store to make sure they get enough calcium um, to keep their egg production viable um, or for, to produce the shells for their eggs and that just that they have enough protein to stay healthy. We do give them some scraps here and there, but primarily they eat just uh, store-bought chicken food. And I saw that you were making tables. Did you make the table that we're seeing the chicken on? Uh, no, I didn't. This is actually a, a purchased table. But I will make the next one when this is. Oh, you did a great job with the table that I saw on your on your blog. Thank Impressive. You. Really using yeah. Um, so would you like it looks better from afar? Yeah. Would you recommend chickens to people who have big gardens like yours? Are you um, conflicted or you, you think it's still a good investment? I, well, to be honest, financially, it's a money loser. It's much cheaper to just buy eggs at the store. 
but I like having them here. I like the experience of raising them. I like knowing where my eggs come from. Um, and they're very low maintenance animals to take care of. So if that sounds good to you, I would definitely, <laughs> you know, you can get like two, two chickens, three chickens. It probably costs like a thousand yen for a baby chicken, depending on the, the breed. Wow. Um, and yeah, like a, like a 20 kilogram bag of chicken food is like less than 2000 yen. So and do they, like you said, they do um, eat some things that maybe they shouldn't eat, but do they also eat bugs that you would want to get rid of? Do, are they functional in that way in terms of balancing the needs of the garden with the animal? And they, they of course, drop fertilizer, don't they? Yeah, they do that. And like one great thing is when I clean out their the chicken run, I throw all that into my um, my compost and it really... Or, or I put it directly into the uh, vegetable beds if it's not too, like, hot and fresh. Um, but I find that it's better to separate the chickens from the garden. And, you know, like, I'll let them out and for a little while, but I used to let them out all day, and they destroyed everything. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Joe is commenting away. Don't need me to ignore you there, Joe. Thank you. He says mukade. So do the oh, chickens yeah. eat mukade? They do. They do. So when I find a mukade, I will, uh, I've got some long tongs and I will go and they fight over it. It's a gruesome, uh, disgusting thing to see. Yeah. So if you don't like mukade, maybe chickens are for you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he says, apparently there's no concept of free range in Japan. So it's great to keep chickens, I'd say. I have seen maybe one or two businesses in Japan which say that they're free range. But whether it is actually free range or just a bigger pen, it's mm -hmm. unclear, right? Yeah. I've been buying free range eggs because my chickens are not uh, providing enough Re, uh, recently, but at Costco, they've been selling free range eggs lately. Now, for a while, you had a pond. Do you still have a pond? I've got a pond. It's like a depression at, in the front corner of my yard that when it rains, all the water from the yard flows down into that area and it fills up. But it, there's no like pond liner or anything. So the water slowly uh, seeps back into the ground. You had a fix for that. You were going to try some kind of organic goo recipe I in, think I, in your vlog. Did you try it? No, I, I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to, but I think I had this like notion that the longer I kept it, like a natural film of like um, sort of decomposing material would line the bottom of it and somehow make it water tight but that definitely has not happened right i mean traditionally the rice patties would have been lined with some kind of organic matter which stopped them seeping the water out right because in the olden days they didn't line it with plastic i don't know if they do now um but maybe ask some of your rice patty farmer neighbors yes i will because yeah they they don't have anything there and they're usually retaining water they have, you know, sort of plumbing that 
sends water into the rice paddies. So, yeah, I, I could ask, yeah. I'll ask my neighbor too. I've never thought of that before, yeah. but I, I've never seen plastic underneath when the fields are dry. So mm. you must have some kind of technique to keep the water from seeping out. Now you were, you also had cattails in there, but this year you said the cattails were dying, not enough water. They're not. Uh, so in that picture you're showing, they're very uh, healthy and widespread. And like each year they sort of migrate around, you know, they have like rhizomes under the soil that they spread around and they've gradually like moved actually out of the pond and sort of up onto the embankment around it. So, and there aren't nearly as many reeds sticking up. So I'm not sure entirely what's going on. And what what is that? I can think of some. I can guess at some reasons to have a pond. Um, in terms of garden landscaping, why have a water feature like a pond in the middle? Yeah, I wanted to add like another element of uh, a little sort of micro environment or microclimate. Um, I was hoping, you know, if it was full of water all the time, like some frogs may come in, and they're a nice predator for uh, you know some insects and things like that um, just to attract more wildlife um, it looks nice uh, and also the water was running off of my property anyway so i thought why not try to catch it and you know rather than having it just go out onto the sidewalk and into the the sewer yeah it's it seems like a good it's beautiful but also a water catchment system so mm -hmm. you can use it if there's a lot of it, you can use it to water the plants around. I would think it would cool the area on a hot summer day. Is that is that happening? Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, where did you get the cattails from? Is that imported seeds? No, I ordered them online from Japan, and uh, yeah, they just came in a little pot. That was that was quite a few years ago. I can't remember exactly where. I got them, but, but domestically, yes. Because that really surprised me. Like a lot of your trees and your plants mm -hmm. seem very exotic. And I was just wondering mm -hmm. where you got them from. One of your favorites, it seems, is called the black locust. Yes, that's what's uh, right behind me right now. Oh, gorgeous. And these are pictures, um, different times of year, maybe. Yeah. So yeah. What, what's special about that tree? So this tree is great for uh, forest gardening because it uh, fixes nitrogen in the soil, which uh, is important for other plants to develop. Uh, you know, plants need nitrogen to, to grow and to produce fruit and or, or whatever, you know, nuts and things like that. Um, and then the leaf pattern of this um, black locust, it, it allows um, sunlight to still sort of reach the understory it doesn't totally block out all the sunlight so you can plant things down at the the base of this tree that will still get enough sunlight and uh, will feed off the nitrogen that's fixed fixed by the roots of the tree so and it's just got cool leaves i really like the leaf pattern uh you're muted again sorry okay so i'm also showing flowers from the tree mm -hmm. which are beautiful yeah, they smell amazing. Is that every year or just sometimes? Yep. Yeah, every year. Nice, beautiful. Another these, great thing about they smell trees. nice. They oh, do, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you had a lot of other the Japanese alder tree. 
Yep, that's that's another nitrogen fixing tree, which is over there. It's that big, tall one kind of that I'm sort of pointing to. So speaking of height, are you planting things and trying to keep like a uniform height to uh, add shade or add sunlight in different areas? Is that your your aim? Well, can I uh, can I tell you about a, a little to answer this? Can I tell you a bit about uh, forest garden design? Please. Okay. So, like the whole idea um, behind a forest garden is you're trying to mimic the environment of a of a young forest. So, if you picture like it's this idea of succession. Like if you picture a a, a rice paddy, that's at one end of the the spectrum. And at the other end of the spectrum is like a mature forest, which you could see like on the mountains in Japan. And in the rice paddy, there's nothing there, just an empty field. In the forest, you have tall, mature trees that really block out the canopy. So there aren't so, like in the understory, there aren't so many other species of plants growing. Um, the young forest uh, stage is where you have some mature trees but there's still a lot of light hitting the the ground. It's the it's the condition where there are the the largest variety of uh, vegetation is growing, and so that's like what you try to mimic uh, in a forest garden. So you can have as many different kinds of uh, plants growing healthily at the same time. And there's uh, seven layers in a forest garden. The tallest is the canopy, which is like this black locust behind me or the Japanese alder. And, you know, these are like the tallest trees in your garden. And then you have a sub canopy, which are, so maybe the canopy is like 10 or 20 meters. And then the sub canopy is maybe five to 10 meters. Um, so like behind me, I have, a, um, that's a Biwa loquat tree. Like that would be a sub canopy species. Um, I've got some apple trees, which are, you know, three or four meters high so far uh, uh, so far so you've got real tall trees and then some shorter trees then you've got shrubs things like blueberry plants or currants um, gooseberries uh, things like that um, then you've got called like herbaceous perennials like lower if you think of like um, sage or rosemary um, some other kinds of like i have a lot of comfrey i don't know if you're familiar with that um like chamomile these kind of things that are kind of clumping uh perennial plants then you've yeah, got i've uh, got a picture of comfrey here yes um is that a japanese plant or kind of an import uh there are different species but um these i i grew this from seed Mm -hmm. And I'm not Beautiful. sure. I got the seeds in Japan. I don't know where they they came from originally. And, and yeah, that really goes wild. Um, and then you've got ground covers. And so like if you look at a lot of pictures, I have a lot of white clover. Um, it's like one of my favorite plants. This is a great ground cover because you can walk on it and it's totally fine. It's like a habitat for little insects and lizards and things. It's nitrogen fixing. You can yeah. probably eat the flowers if you want. Uh, I, I wish I wish more uh, big agriculture would use green mm -hmm. green manure or yeah. ground cover like this because 
it's more beautiful and it, it actually is better for the soil. It retains moisture. There's so many wonderful knock-on effects, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Happy Gora is joining us. Thanks for joining. He says, where's this? This is Ishikawa in yeah. Japan. And he said, do you have any bonsais? He loves I, bonsai. I do not have any bonsai. I just saw a garden the other day that was just filled with bonsai plants. Mm -hmm. I will have to go over there and live stream just for you, <laughs> Apigora. All right. Um, yeah, so this ground cover, you covered all your walkways yeah. with clover. Is that right? Yeah. It looks beautiful. Yep. Yeah, it's great. I love it. In the spring when it's all in flower, the, like, the yard is just humming with uh, bees, and it's really... Great. One of my favorites. So yeah, you've got ground covers and then you've actually got like underground plants like ginger. Um, I have a uh, Jerusalem artichokes, um, things like that. And then uh, vines like grapes and kiwis and things like that, that actually take advantage of the vertical space. Yeah. These are Jerusalem artichokes. And these are all perennial. That's one of the Jerusalem like, artichokes. You can eat them. Yes. And they have a beautiful flower as well. Mm -hmm. And um, Thomas Clefford told me when I visited his farm that even if you, you're digging up the, the bulbs that you want to eat, but if some break off, it'll just come back the next year. So it's, it's yeah. like a really nice plant. It mm -hmm. also heals the soil. Is that right? I don't know about healing the soil, but it'll grow like anywhere, I think. And yeah, when I harvest it, I just leave a few like smaller little nuggets in the ground and it just comes back every year and actually expands has really nice yellow flowers too right yeah they look yeah. like sunflowers yeah uh tim bunting has joined from youtube thanks tim he says any recommendations for plants for people in snow country so he's a bit more north of you mm -hmm. i have a bit of a backyard that is just sand at the moment loving what you're doing so very similar to when you moved in it really <laughs> didn't look like you had decent soil at no. all yeah, what are the secrets to building up the soil and getting started? Um, I would definitely put down some green manure, like just go, you, at, you can order online or at the home center, you can get white clover seed. Um, just put a bunch of that down. You can even like throw down like daikon seed um, and that'll like break up the soil as it grows. And then you can sort of mix that up in the spring and, you know, at, keep adding green manure to it. Um, but yeah, that's like the long-term uh, goal you want to improve the soil quality and just add organic material to it. Um, snow country. Yeah. I, you know, we get heavy snow here and I just tie things up in the spring to, to withstand it as much as possible. So like, um, that One thing he could do with in snow country is your fire pit, right? Yes. <laughs> got this fire pit. I actually don't use it that much, but <laughs> it's there. Um, yeah, so you've also decorated your garden with um, not only driftwood, but also big, beautiful rocks that you're separating the areas of the garden with. Mm -hmm. um, is that also your beach collection? How do it you is. carry them home? That's good workout. It is, yeah. It's one of those things where when I look back on it, it seems kind of insane, like the calories I burned just... Uh, dragging materials back from the beach yeah. but it looks nice and it was free so it's beautiful so yeah. if tim is just starting a garden or if mm -hmm. anybody's just you've got nothing there 
you want to design a garden. How did you think of your design? Did you mark things out? I want to plant this here. I want a tree there. How did you do that? I did. Uh, I, I got some like graph paper and sketched out. I love garden design and like landscaping in general. I did it as a summer job, you know, when I was uh, in college and in high school. So I love just the process of design. I've, I've redesigned a lot of things in here and moved things around quite, quite a bit. Um, but another sort of key concept of forest gardening is this concept of guilds, which is basically a group of plants that you plant together. Hopefully like everything from those seven different layers. So you've got a canopy and a sub canopy and some shrubs and some ground cover and some underground stuff. And, uh, you know, you try to get these plants that work together. Um, so, so, for example, you know, I've got the, the black locust there. So th that's fixing nitrogen for me. Around it, I've got an underground uh, myoga, the ginger, Japanese ginger. And behind it, there's like a cherry bush. Um, there's another gumi tree, which is also fixing nitrogen. Um, there's, a, there's a peach tree, which you can't see back there. Um, so all of these, and then there's a, a ground cover of wild strawberry, which is keeping weeds down and also providing food. So I tried to like sort of segment my garden into several different guilds with like a nitrogen fixing tree in the middle. And then around that, some shrubs that could feed off the nitrogen, some ground cover to, to keep the weeds down. Um, and that's basically you know, what I, how I designed the garden. Wow. Wonderful. Now why, and this might be a very stupid question from someone who doesn't understand gardening at all. Why nitrogen fixing? Why do we need to fix nitrogen? Is there just naturally too much nitrogen in most soil? No, there's like not enough. Okay. Um, so like if you pull up the root of a nitrogen fixing tree, it's actually got like white nodes of of nitrogen attached to the root so it sucks the the nitrogen out of the soil around it and then i mean i'm, I'm not like a scientist i'm maybe this is my impression of what happens but like the roots from the other trees and plants around it can come and sort of feed off the nitrogen i think maybe that's what's supposed to happen um but you know when you, it sounds logical to me i yeah. trust you um, but like when you go to the, the garden center and you buy a bag of fertilizer, like the three things it has on it are nitrogen, uh, like potassium and phosphorus, I think is the other one. Those are like the three really important minerals for plants to grow and have healthy roots and strong branches and, you know, the ability to produce big, delicious uh, fruit. So you also try to... Um, to, to find plants that fix not only nitrogen, but other uh, minerals like comfrey is one. Um, I've got some others in here that- The echinacea so, you planted, is that just for teas and benefit for people? Yeah, that's like a, uh, a bee plant and you can, it's got, you know, uh, some medicinal uses. And you mentioned gomi, G-O-U-M-I. Yeah. In, in English, we call this uh, an autumn olive. Mm. And this is another great forest garden plant because it's edible. 
it's nitrogen fixing. It gets loads of flowers, so the bees enjoy it. It grows fast. I think it's actually invasive in some parts of the U.S. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Happy Gore was asking about driftwood. He wants to see more of the driftwood. But also, this is a good part of designing your garden is making raised beds. So mm -hmm. what is the argument for raised beds versus just planting it in the ground? Um, I think for me, one of the benefits is um, you can, you don't have to disturb the soil as much. Um, I've heard a lot about like no-till gardens and I, where you just are adding organic material and maybe green manures, but you're never disturbing the soil because uh, healthy soil has a lot of microbes in it that are very beneficial to the soil and worms and things like that. And every time you dig up the soil, you disturb all of those, that little ecosystem that's existing in there. Um, so if you have raised beds, it's a nice way to sort of contain uh, your, your, your vegetable growing area in one spot where you can walk around it and you don't have to worry about trampling on anything. And then you've you've also separated with rocks and you've put gravel. Is that to keep weeds down or just to like to keep it clear in your head about where certain plants are? <laughs> yeah, more like that. And it just like I had like extra rocks and <laughs> wanted to do something look that looks nice. But the problem is like it looks cool when you first do it, but within a few weeks, there's there's lots of weeds and vegetation growing up around it or the chickens walk on it and knock down your shoddily built rock wall. And Well, it looks beautiful. You also made these raised beds uh, planters on the side of the house. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yes. That's where the chicken coop used to be. Yeah. And you were, you were cracking me up because you said when your kids were little before they had common sense, uh, you had a fence there so they wouldn't drop off into the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. um, but now they have more common sense. And I <laughs> I would have still left the fence, you know, just for me. Yeah. I'm not sure I have common sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I've done is I, I, the fence kind of was starting to rot. So I've planted, which I should have done from the beginning was I planted like a green hedge um, with uh, strawberry trees. Have you ever heard of strawberry trees? No, but I saw some of your fruit from the strawberry yeah. tree and it looks good. Yeah, so that's like a nice evergreen tree that's food producing and it'll be a nice privacy barrier once it grows and keep yeah. me and whoever else from toppling out of the yard. I like that idea, yeah. And then you can, if you get really handy with your hedge trimmers, you can create shapes or animals or, you know, get really fancy. Yes, for sure. Um, so your raised beds, we've talked about uh, designing the garden with maybe a water feature like a pond. We've talked mm -hmm. about um, having green manure. We've talked about, um, how about this tree, the acacia tree? Yeah, acacia, acacia, yeah. It's very pretty. Is there a benefit, a particular benefit or just for beauty and diversity? Um, this is also a nitrogen fixing tree and it's also evergreen. So if you wanted it as a, some measure, if you had like a big window that you wanted to, um, you know, add some privacy to, you could plant that out in front. It grows like a weed, it grows so fast. Um, and 
it's nitrogen fixing and it also flowers really early in the spring. So if there are any bees about, um, you know, like in March, this thing has beautiful yellow flowers. I'm sure if you've ever been to a, a flower shop, which is a common experience uh, for people, they have like little yellow puffball looking flowers that are popular, I think, as like a decorative element in a bouquet or something. So, and I just like it. It's cool looking. Um, and it fixes nitrogen. So that's good enough for me. Yeah. That's another one that's in the center of um, one of my guilds, which is over there. I don't know if you, my head's in the way. I don't know how well you can see it, but that's the, the acacia there. It doesn't look very purple right now. Like the new growth is very purple. Um, so around that, I have another cherry tree. Um, I have a Juneberry tree, some currants, some raspberries are growing by that. Wow. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the kinds of vegetables you've been able to grow in your garden? So <clears throat> some people might think if you have a lot of trees and a lot of shade, then maybe you can't grow as many vegetables. Is, mm -hmm. that, is that what you found or is it pretty easy still to grow a lot? No, it's fine. Uh, the The issue is insects uh, stealing everything. Um, but I, I purposefully designed my garden to have uh, an area that will always get full sun, that no matter how big all the trees I've planted get, they will never encroach upon the area where my raised beds are. So, yeah, you'd have a hard time if you made a raised bed like under this tree back here. But... My, my raised beds are all just right there. You can't see them. Those are tomato plants behind me. Yeah, so yeah, you just, uh, need to design it to ensure that it's always gonna get enough sunlight. And you mentioned about like a husband, husbandry or sister plants, like planting certain oh. things together, which work well. Yeah, um, the, uh, the term is escaping me. Um, but yeah, basically like the famous one is you plant corn, uh, and then around that you plant beans, which fix nitrogen and that the beans can use the corn stalks as like a trellis to climb up. Uh, and the, the corn can feed off the nitrogen. And then around that you plant pumpkin, which is like a nice ground cover because it vines out everywhere. Polyculture is the word. Yes. Okay, yeah, we had our super gardeners flow and blaze on the show, uh -huh. and they they were talking about the three sisters. Maybe yeah. it was corn, beans, and oh, I've, like squash or pumpkin. Or Maybe something. squash or pumpkin. Yeah. So there's certain plants that help each other um, in terms of attracting insects and mm -hmm. uh, repelling insects or actually just work well together for whatever reason. So yeah. you found that that worked in your garden? Um, I haven't done that much. I'm like, in t for the, the, the forest garden part, yeah, it works amazing. For vegetables, I'm, I'm always sort of like having a mental argument with myself because I have such a small area where I can grow vegetables. Like I'd love to do... Um, no-till gardening but then the the quality of the produce suffers a bit so i feel like i only have this limited space to grow vegetables i want to maximize it and i'm spending money on you know seedlings 
So I've been using fertilizer just in the vegetable beds to make it worth the time and, and financial investment. But I hate doing that, but it makes such a huge difference. Yeah. How have you find the, found the cost? Because I think that's something people are really interested in. Like when you, uh, I talked to Flo and Blaze when they were first starting their garden, same as you, mm -hmm. it was nothing there, it was gravel. And they said at least 10,000 yen a month. And most of it was buying soil, buying soil mm -hmm. to build up the garden with. Mm -hmm. um, did you find about the same, that about cost? Yeah, like um, for me, it's more like in the spring, I'm going to probably spend like six or seven or 8,000 yen on seedlings and seeds and, and, and fertilizer and things to get the vegetable garden growing. And in the fall, I'll do something similar. Um, but all of the, the forest garden stuff has just been more gradual. And, you know, a, a, a small uh, tree sapling might cost a thousand yen or 2000 yen. You know, the smaller it is, the cheaper it is. So you buy small things for a reasonable price. And but yeah, I probably spent. I don't know, a thousand dollars ish maybe maybe more over the last five years just to get everything established so not super cheap but something that's going to last hopefully until i'm gone well you've recreated the whole mm -hmm. house landscape mm -hmm. um i hope you you own it because if you move away um, as is often happens in Japan, we were renting a place, recreated the garden into mm -hmm. a beautiful lush garden with trees and plants. Mm -hmm. And we moved away after eight years and mm -hmm. they, they just raised the whole thing, made it gravel. Uh, yeah. You, but now we own our place. So whatever mm -hmm. I put in, I know hopefully my kids will at least inherit. You know? Right, right. You've got beautiful like fruit trees, edible mm -hmm. plants just a, a beautiful diverse you know combination of things mm. why wouldn't anyone want to keep that but you just don't know if you give yeah. it up right yeah well fortunately someday we will own this house eventually um so i'll be here and the garden will as well um can i one we've sort of talked about uh, this a little bit but like this idea of like plant functions yes and that's another really important element of uh, forest gardening because like plants have a lot of different functions you might not think about it but um, like of course food is a big one and privacy is is another one um, attracting beneficial insects uh, so butterflies and bees and like parasitic wasps that will attack the the non-beneficial insects so yeah um, another function is deterring insects that you don't want like uh, some people think like a lot of mint or like very aromatic plants deter some insects um i've talked about like mineral accumulation like nitrogen and phosphorus and uh, potassium uh shelter for animals and creatures uh, uh like lizards and things like that um maybe you want to harvest wood for burning or for building furniture or whatever uh, medicinal stuff. You, you have the echinacea up there. So like, these are all functions. And one of the, the concepts of a, or goals of a forest garden is to plant things that have as many functions as possible. Um, and that's kind of a fun challenge to find things that have loads of uh, functions. So 
like the Gumi people love that because it's multifunction. It's it's nitrogen fixing. It's edible. Bees like it. Um, so that's another key sort of component of the design of the garden. Yeah, great. Thank you for that. Um, this is another plant we haven't mentioned uh, yet from your blog, the sea buckthorn. Yes. Uh, I vote that is the most disappointing forest garden. Oh, plant. too bad. Yeah. Uh, that's one like in all the books I was reading, like people just rave about sea buckthorn. It's another nitrogen fixing plant, grows anywhere, grows fast. Um, and I planted one. You need a male and a female for that. And I ordered them online and they grew fine. And then um, they start, the female started producing fruit, but they're these tiny little berries, which you have to like reach in through all these thorns. They're terrible tasting. Uh, they're not good for eating on their own. It's more like you want to like make a tincture or something out of them. Uh, and then it died on me. So I never saw the light with the sea buckthorn. Oh, too bad. To say. Uh, Heavenly Dew says in Texas, uh, lavender and citrus are great for Texas mosquitoes. Mm. Do you have any citrus or lavender? I have lots of lavender. Um, maybe I should plant some closer to like the porch and the fire pit. Um, and I have another, it's like a citronella kind of smelling plant that's supposed to um, help mosquitoes. There are still a lot of mosquitoes around here. I was intrigued also by your hardy kiwi, a yeah. different, different kind of kiwi. How mm. was that? Is that a good plant? These are awesome. Yes. I highly recommend this there. Have you ever had these? No, never. Um, they're also called like baby kiwis, I think. And they, they only get about like the size of a grape. Um, and you just eat the whole thing, skin and all. And they're, when they're ripe, they're like candy. They're so sweet. Um, and you said you can eat the skin as well. You don't. You don't have to peel it. or Do you also need a male and female for that? Because I know kiwis do. Yeah, some do. The ones I have don't. Um, I just found these at the home center like a couple of years ago. And, oh, and of course, Louise knows. She's in New Zealand. She says kiwi berries. Kiwi berries, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Louise. They're so yummy. So mm. I highly recommend these if you if you find them. Yeah, fantastic. Well, we only have about uh, seven more minutes. Is okay. there anything we haven't talked about that you want to explain uh, or talk about? Um, I just wanted to say that, like, you know, I realize I have kind of a big space here, but this is something you can do in a, even a small yard. You can find a, you can um, have enough space to set up like one nice guild that has, um, good. I've got a, a, a friend here. <gasps> Um, no, what's what's the chickie's name? This is uh, Pino. Pino, she's a silky. Pino. All the other chickens really abuse her, so she lives Aww. on her own at a private little coop, um, and she gets sort of um, to run around in the yard. And, and on the they don't peck at you or anything. Are they quite nice pets? No, they're you know another. I had these expectations that um, chickens would be like companions but they're there's nothing going on up upstairs so they're not great and especially especially silkies i read they're like they're like dogs they're like so affectionate and they like to like sit on your lap i haven't had that experience 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, Louise is saying, here we get them before kiwi fruit season starts. Mm -hmm. And in New Zealand, we eat the skin of the kiwi fruit, or at least I did, Tim says. Is that right? I, I thought it would make your stomach upset. Huh. Maybe if you grow your own, you know it's pesticide-free, right? Yeah. But yeah, even if you have a small space, you know, you can get like one, if you want, pick a tree that, or a fruit that you like and just plant one of those and you can plant some mineral fixing uh, ground covers or shrubs around it and a couple smaller, you know, a blueberry tree or a blueberry bush or, you know, something like that and some nice flowers and perennial plants that will come back year after year. So, and now, I'm, if anybody Casey, wants to do that, I love designing this sort of thing. So, oh, fine. wonderful. Now, Casey, it sounds like you've got a lot of berries. Uh, you love raspberries. You've got strawberries and blueberries. Um, did you grow up around these plants and fruits? Or is that why you're choosing to put it in your design? Or is it because it kind of works in your area? Uh, the latter. I didn't grow up with, uh, I, I, you know, I had like a traditional big American lawn growing up and my parents weren't into gardening so much. Uh, it's just something that I got interested in as an adult. And yeah, these are things I've chosen because they work well in the forest garden context. And uh, I think Joe is asking for a plug for your podcast. If people want to listen to oh, yeah. more. So, yeah. My, my personal podcast is uh, the bean pod um and that's just like an audio diary sort of it's great um people who are uh stuck in the hospital have found it very soothing and uh it's sort of boring but i like it i love making podcasts so oh no i like it and i think anybody interested in what it's like raising a family and living in rural japan would really love it uh you're talking about normal things that mm -hmm. you're going through and a lot about your garden which is lovely yeah. Um, but Joe and I make a podcast called Ishikawa Summit to Sea. Uh, you can find that on iTunes, and we're on Twitter there as well. Um, and that's just Joe and I talking and joking around and having a grand old time. It's called Ishikawa Summit to Sea, and it's there's very little Ishikawa content. <laughs> now, for anybody outside Japan, Ishikawa is where Casey lives, and I guess Joe as well. Yes. Um, and it's it's on the opposite coast from Tokyo. Yeah, kind of due west, I would say. So if someone wanted to come to that area from Tokyo, how long would it take? How would they get there? You can take a bullet train uh, from Tokyo and it takes about two and a half hours or three hours. Uh, we also have like a local airport, Komatsu Airport, which you can fly into. But that's kind of Kanazawa is the big attraction here which is a beautiful beautiful city highly recommend everybody go there um, but the airport's quite separated from there so i would take the, the bullet train nice yeah um just getting back to the garden a little bit what are your plans going forward is there anything you would really like to do which you haven't done yet or anything you'd like to improve on which you were disappointed with it didn't quite work the way you wanted uh let's see it's very exciting right now because it's like things are starting to really produce for the first time because I planted everything when it was very small. So like I'm getting apples for the first time. I'm about to get uh, pears for the first time. So 
I'm kind of content right now. I want to plant more flowers. Um, but other than that, I'm just going to let things roll for, for, a. I mean, I say that, but then I'll go to the home center tomorrow and be like, Oh, I don't have one of these and it's on sale. I'll find a place for it. So nothing. See, made. I mean, that that's another good tip, right? If you go to your local home center, the kinds of starter plants and the kinds of seeds that they have should work in your area. Mm -hmm. Is that right? True. Yeah. Yeah. And are you also choosing things for color? Like here you have these beautiful peach blossoms. Mm. Do you also have umei or sakura? I do not have any sakura. That's kind of, I try not to plant things that don't produce food or like serve some function. And I love cherry trees, but I have limited space and they're basically just, they have nice flowers and then I don't think they actually produce any cherries, do they? I don't think, I think they're made not to, but ume, you could make ume boshi or ume shu or yeah. ume juice. <laughs> I'll have to check for ume trees next time. Thank you for the idea. Yeah. My and wife is away this weekend. It's a good opportunity to sneak <laughs> things in. She's not that interested in the garden. So oh, good, good question, Heavenly Dew. She says, does this garden attract squirrels? Now, I know you were talking about moles the other day. Yes. Uh, I don't think we have, we don't have squirrels around this part of Japan. Maybe so, no. where, where Tim is in the north, but um, maybe not around there. Yeah. Mostly just, uh, we've got fox, um, like weasels, um, crows, those are the main things that steal food out of my garden. Do any predators try to get at your chickens? So far, no. I've, I've seen like a fox in the yard before, but everybody's just sort of passing through. Got the coop pretty well secured, and we haven't had any issues so far, knock on wood. And you had some moles. How did, did you handle the moles? Yeah, that was, I haven't seen moles. Actually, there was one. Uh, I set some mole traps, but I don't think they worked. And I just gave up and the moles went away <laughs> somehow. And, and when you were making your chicken coops, you were actually putting liners in so nobody could dig in, right? Yeah, yeah. I think like in other parts of the world, especially like the US where they have like raccoons and things that are like really aggressive about trying to get into chicken coops they bury like you know the the mesh wire like a foot down into the ground and so i was like i need to do that but it's really not that necessary around here i've learned because nothing's ever tried to dig into the, the coop yet yeah awesome well that is our time oh we had one last question how about the snake Oh, the snake, Joe. Uh, yeah, we get snakes from time to time that do steal the chicken eggs. Oh. Yeah, my wife has opened uh, the, the nesting box a few times and found a snake mid-egg uh, thievery. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I think the Nagis also who moved out of Tokyo to start a farm and a guest house um, who've been in the series, they, they've had snakes as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Hopefully not, not too dangerous ones. 
No, so far. <laughs> I don't see them that frequently. They don't come much further than the chicken coop, so. Good. Well, thank you so much, Casey. That was a great talk, really insightful, and hopefully has inspired loads of people to start beautiful gardens like yours around the world. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm ha really like, I love talking about this. So if anybody has any questions, I'm on Twitter at tbeanpod, um, and I love to talk about gardening. So if you ever need to talk about it, find me, please. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Casey. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Have a great day.